I want to, again, welcome those who are watching online and just want to make sure you know we want to connect with you. And um, if you message something or email us, just let us know you're there and, and a part of what we're doing. We want to make sure we, we connect. It's, it's impossible to shake your hand, but we want to um, connect with you in some way. So let us know that you're there and that you're watching, and we will reach out to you as well. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16 today. So if you've got your Bible, uh, turn there to Mark 16. And I really hope you will look with me at the text uh, every week, but it's going to be important this week for sure. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the seat uh, nearby. And um, if you're online, BibleGateway.com, that's a good one. There's plenty of places you can find a Bible to look at uh, as we study God's Word here together today. And we go to Mark chapter 16. This is going to be the last of this series. And I couldn't get an exact count, but I think it's been about 35 messages here through this study of Mark going back. And there's obviously we've, we've taken some breaks for other uh, messages throughout the year, but I think starting back in October uh, of 19. So this study of Mark has taken us more than a year, and um, we didn't know what this year would hold when we started all those weeks ago, but I, I, I have found this gospel to be a great source of comfort and strength and encouragement through these days. Last week, I, I, I told you all Happy New Year's because it was the first Sunday of Advent, and the Advent season really starts the new year for the church. And so this week, I'm going to say Happy Easter, because we are now going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and here at the last chapter of Mark. We didn't really have a very good Easter service this year. I mean, it was nice, but we had to do a drive-in. So I feel like we, we missed a lot this year sitting in our cars. But this will be Easter Sunday part two for us here in, in 2020 as we, we look now at uh, Mark chapter 16. And I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Gracious Father, as we come to your word today, 
We uh, pray that you will open our hearts as you opened that tomb. And that um, instead of Christ not being there, Christ will be found there in our lives. That we will be filled with joy and gladness because he has risen and that he is Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He is risen. You remembered. Good. Now, if you're looking at your Bible, you'll notice a little note there at the end of verse 8 that says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. There's a kind of break here in the reading, and we need to talk about that for, for a minute. Uh, there was a time when my family used to often check out DVDs from the library. And, uh, you know, like we'd all get together and we'd sit down to watch this movie and we'd pop the DVD into the player and we'd be enjoying it for a while. And then maybe you've had this experience, you're watching it, and then maybe you're even getting close to the end and it stops working or it starts skipping or it doesn't, it's just, we, we had to just quit using library DVDs because too often we'd get partway through or even almost to the climax and we wouldn't know how it ended as the thing was scratched. Um, we kind of run into something like that here in Mark chapter 16. The disc starts to skip a little bit because we're not sure exactly what, what's happened to, to some of the text. And I know this can sound a little disconcerting, especially since we'd really like things to button up real nice and just come in for a smooth landing as the, we come to the end of this gospel. But um, Mark chapter 8, or chapter 16, probably most clearly ends at verse 8 in terms of what we have. And I know we find great comfort knowing that the Bible is without error, and it is. God has given us his word um, in all that we need, and it is complete, and it is fulfilled, and we trust it absolutely. But what we read are copies of the original, and what was given without error were the original manuscripts. So we are dealing with translation, and we are dealing with uh, the transmission of manuscripts over the course of thousands of years. And there are issues that can come up, not many, but some, with the manuscripts that we have. And we have to think about that a little bit. And some would say, well, you can't just take verses out of the Bible, like verses 9 through, through, through 20. And uh, that's true. You can't take verses out of the Bible, but you also can't add verses to the Bible. So we just got to really honestly wrestle with, should these, things, should these verses be here or not? Were they part of what Mark originally wrote when he wrote the gospel or not? I want to look at verses 9 through 20 just uh, briefly here, and I'm going to read them now. It says, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. 
And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them uh, and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. I, I don't want to dwell on this too long, uh, but I do want to just give some reasons uh, to question whether or not Mark, at least, had originally been the writer of verses 9 through 20. Um, one reason to question it is because verses 9 through 20 don't match at all to the way Mark wrote the rest of the gospel, the language, the style. It's very different. It's very distinct. Uh, another reason is verse 9 does not have a connection to verse 8. It drops in uh, really midstream with another thought, uh, and even the, the pronouns there don't seem to link up right. And um, so there's, there's a real disjointed connection between verse 8 and verse 9. A third, and maybe the most compelling reason to, to think that Mark probably did not write verses 9 through 20, is that none of the earliest manuscripts that we have of the Gospel of Mark contain these verses. So if you go back and, and look at what we have as the most reliable uh, manuscripts, uh, they, they don't include uh, those last verses. And um, even the early church fathers did not refer to them. So it's likely that something uh, was added after the fact. But we shouldn't worry too much about this because everything that we find in verses 9 through 20 can pretty much be found in Matthew or in Luke. And so um, there's no great loss in terms of uh, content here because we can fill it in with the harmony of the other Gospels. But we can see why if something happened to the manuscript that Mark originally composed at verse 8, why somebody looking at that would say, boy, this, this, needs, this needs a little more help. Because look at how verse 8 ends. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Trembling and afraid. Can you end the gospel that way? The women it says, said nothing to anyone, and yet we know they, they went and they told others. So what's happened here? Well, we, we don't know. There, are some, there is some, some mystery to this, but there is something compelling in challenging us. Because, well, I doubt Mark planned to stop at verse 8. God, through his providence, has made it so. And... The last page was lost, but everything that we need remains because God is the one superintending over all of this. And it feels maybe unfinished to us, but remember verse 1. As we finish this series, now we go all the way back to where we started, and you can flip to Mark chapter 1. This is a key. This is important to see. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, where it all began. 
says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, period. Notice that's not a sentence. Grammarians among us. Uh, there is not a complete uh, subject in predicate here. This is a title. This is what is at the, the heading of this gospel. This story that we have been given to us by Mark, this, this uh, testimony to the truth of Jesus Christ is the beginning of the gospel. Now, you might think we spent 35 weeks looking at just the beginning. Yes. This is not the end. Don't think we've just arrived at the conclusion. It's all over now, and we can, can go home, and, and that's, that's finished. The idea we want to have here is the gospel has begun, and we go forth, just as the women at the tomb were commissioned to, to, to go and to tell what has happened. And yet, don't we sometimes feel a little afraid? Don't we sometimes tremble a little bit? Aren't we sometimes uh, seized with a sense of, uh, what am I doing here? We identify, we understand what's going on. But the point is, you have a part in this story. You have a place here, just as I do. And I'm not just saying this because it's popular to be inclusive and to say we all have a, a, a part in this. Your inclusion is through the church, the body of Christ. And together as a church, we take the gospel to the world. We proclaim it every day in how we live and, and, and through our ministry. And the degree to which we enter into this story is the degree to which we experience the power of the gospel in our lives. Most people don't think God does anything amazing anymore. And I think that's because they're not entered into the story. They're not sharing in the gospel. What the people in this story did, when we think about the disciples and, and we think about Jesus' followers and, and, and we think about these women at the tomb, it took guts. It took courage. They had to step up and, and take chances and go places. They weren't sure where they was going to take them. And yeah, they failed often. They fell on their faces and were embarrassed and, and ashamed at times. But, but God worked through them. And he wants to work through us. He wants us to be part of the ongoing gospel story. And as we look at that, particularly here at the beginning of verse 16, we realize that God has chosen these women to take center stage. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. They were just introduced to us last week, and now in the conclusion, in the climax, they are the ones where the spotlight has turned. And I think that's really important for us to see what an important role they've been given. And look, remember, we started in last week by seeing that they've, they've committed to a simple act of, of piety. They're bringing spices for the body of Jesus. Now, they noticed where, where Joseph of Arimathea had placed Jesus in a tomb. And now on the first day of the week, after the Sabbath has passed, they get their spices and they're going to the tomb out of a simple act of devotion. Piety is a forgotten virtue today. So many of the problems we have in society, I believe, stem from the loss 
of this simple virtue of piety. And what it really means is devotion, it's loyalty, it's honor offered by the weaker to the greater. And we think of that in terms of to our family or to our nation or to our God. Some have defined piety as justice toward God. And what a loss we have in our society today of people practicing justice toward God. But these these women do this. And yet, they have a problem. They get their spices. They get up at the crack of dawn. They head towards the tomb. And then one of them says, hey, you know, there's a big stone that's going to be in the way. How are we going to move this thing? In fact, verse 4 emphasizes the fact it was very large. And I just want to ask the question, how many of us, if we were there at that day, and maybe had the idea even to, to take spices to the tomb. Would that be a really pious thing to do? That'd be a really act, good act of devotion and humility. Would then stop and say, wait, 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 wait a second. There's a big stone on the way. Can't move that. I guess I'll just stay home. I guess I'll just sleep in. I'd like to do something, but what can I do about a stone? Sometimes we talk about how God opens up doors in our lives. Has God ever opened up a door for you? Here he literally opens up a door. He moves the stone. And here's the thing for us to remember. God can move the stone when we proceed in faith. The most important and exciting things that we can do in life are done by stepping out in faith, not knowing how it's going to be done. That's when God intervenes. That's when God brings us through. Some here today are at a moment of decision in your life. You've got some opportunities before you, or the Lord has laid on you some kind of desire. You realize there's something you need to do, but you're thinking it through and saying, uh-uh, can't happen. I mean, there's this big stone in the way. It's not going to move. I can't figure out how to do it. I can't even round up enough people to move it if we tried. <laughs> Where am I going to go from here? Maybe there's just some big question marks, and, 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 and you just feel frozen. Know that God will show himself faithful. He will make a way. He can move these stones. And maybe you've already stepped out in faith. Maybe you're like these women and you're on your way to the tomb. You've got the spices. It's early in the morning and you're still thinking to yourself, how is this thing going to move? How is this thing going to move? Trust that he will. Don't give up. Because when we live in the gospel, when we see this story as our story. It didn't end in chapter 16, whether at verse 8 or at verse 20. It's still going now, and you are part of it. He's still moving stones. He's still doing the things he did here. And he wants to do that in your life. These women encounter three incredible surprises when they get to the tomb. Three. Things they had not expected when they set out that morning. Number one, they find the stone is moved. And we've already noticed and told, been told it's very large. But it's gone. It's moved. It's not in the way anymore. 
Surprise number one. Surprise number two comes at verses, uh, verse five. It says, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Well, who is this guy? What is he doing here? Other gospels tell us it was an angel, but Mark never really specifies that, that this guy is an angel. We, we connect the dots, uh, dressed in a white robe, a young man, and he's sitting there where Jesus should be. And not only that, those are the first two surprises. The third surprise tops them all. Jesus is missing. He's not there. The man says to him in verse 6, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Come look. This is where he was, but he's not there anymore. Now these women are given a special task to do. Verses 7 and 8, they're told to go and to tell. To go and to tell. The disciples need to hear. The rest of the world needs to hear that Jesus Christ has risen. We sing that song at Christmas time, Go Tell It on the Mountain, that Jesus Christ is born. Well, we could just modify that a little bit. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is risen. That's exactly what these uh, uh, women have been told to do. And what's, I think, so uh, Fascinating as well is that these women become the very first preachers of the gospel. If we, if we define the gospel as the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has died and risen again, that is the gospel. These women are the first. They are blessed to be the very first to ever be able to preach that message. Now, that would have been controversial in that day, even as it's still controversial for some today. But God is not afraid to call women to preach. And um, he, he blesses them for this. And, and it's, it's staggering, too, because it goes against the norms of that day when it, they needed two or three male witnesses to prove something in court. It's as if God is saying, you know what? I don't need that. These women will do just fine spreading the news that Jesus Christ is risen. And the truth here for us is don't worry about what others will think when God calls you to share Jesus. If he has called you and given you that message to share, share it. And share it boldly. Um, and we know that they did this. That's why I don't think Mark's uh, gospel ends there at verse 8. We know from, from Matthew and from Luke and from John that they went and they did tell the disciples. They were, they, it says they, 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 they said nothing to anyone there in verse 8, but I think that was a momentary pause. They were in shock. They were in awe at what they saw, but they gathered their wits and the Spirit fills them and they do proclaim the good news. So let's fill in a little bit here based on what we do know from the other Gospels of what happens. Because, yes, these women are afraid, but they were also joyful. They were joyful. Matthew 28, 8 tells us this. It says, They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. You can put the two together. Fear and joy can come together. And this is a certain kind of holy fear, a biblical fear, an awe at the power of God. But it's a joyful fear. 
Next, it says they do see and touch the risen Jesus in Luke chapter 24. We, we feel like we're kind of hanging here in Mark, but, but Luke does confirm for us in, in verses 38 and 39 that Jesus sees them and says to them, why are you troubled? Why do you do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see. For the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. They saw and touched the risen Jesus. And then we also know from John's gospel that Mary proclaimed the gospel to the other disciples. He says that Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. <clears throat> so what is this truth for us? The truth is very clear. That today is the day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That him, Christ the Lord, is risen today doesn't mean to be only sung on Easter. I mean, as if Easter were the only day you could say, Christ the Lord is risen today. Christ the Lord is risen every day. Every day we wake up, Christ the Lord is risen. And, and every day is an Easter day because he is Lord over all. I like what David Garland says in, in his commentary. He says, the message of Jesus' resurrection transforms a hopeless end into an endless hope transforms a hopeless end into an endless hope. So Mark's unusual ending meets us where we are at because we have not yet seen the risen Jesus. And so in, 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 in whether God intended for that last page to be lost or not, I don't know. But in his providence, he allows it to happen. And I think in a way to, to put us in the story because we are like those women who had not yet seen and touched the risen Jesus. And there's a word for us that Jesus gives in John 20, 29. He spoke it to Thomas. He said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 1 Peter 1, 8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. There is blessing to being able to say, I believe because God has given me that faith, even though I cannot yet see. And we look forward to that day when we will see, when we will confirm with our eyes and with our hands that Jesus Christ is risen. But we're left right now to believe without yet seeing. And Jesus tells us we are blessed for such faith. And so we face this life filled with all sorts of ups and downs and challenges and tragedies and trials and difficulties and struggles. And there's, there's, we've, we've got to make a decision in how we're going to face it all. I like what Philip Yancey says in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He says, there are two ways to look at human history. One way is to focus on the wars and violence, the squalor, the pain and tragedy and death. He says, from such a point of view, Easter seems like a fairy tale exception, a stunning contradiction in the name of God. He says, that gives some solace, although I confess that when my friends died, grief was so overpowering that any hope in an afterlife seemed somehow thin. 
and insubstantial. But then Yancey goes on to say this. He says, there is another way to look at the world. If I take Easter as the starting point, the one incontrovertible fact about how God treats those whom he loves, then his human history becomes the contradiction and Easter a preview of ultimate reality. Hope then flows like lava beneath the crust of daily life. What's he talking about? I think we could start each day by thinking about all the things that are wrong with the world. There's plenty out there, isn't there? You know, we can lament that so many people are fearful these days. Or we can lament that so many people are careless these days. And I've kind of come to see that it seems like we're all either one or the other, aren't we? We could drown in the seas of numbers that surround us every day, whether it's the numbers of case counts or the ballots cast. There's always numbers being thrown at us, aren't they? And we, we lose all sense of perspective. We could dwell on the conflicts and the anger that reside in our own homes or our own hearts. And we could draw the conclusion pretty quick that things are just broken Bitter. If we start each day thinking this way, Easter's not going to mean much to us because it's going to seem like a really rare exception to the way things are. It gets celebrated once a year, and if it's like 2020, it's only a drive-in. And that's how verse 8 ends, trembling and afraid. What if we start each day knowing that God is making all things new? Knowing that he's redeemed us, that he is saving us, and that his kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven, and that we will see everything uh, differently because of what Easter means. So instead of Easter seeming out of place, it becomes the explanation for the way the world really is and what God has really done. Because he makes all things new. Speaking of that, it's the theme that I have chosen for our prayer week, 2021. And I want you to put it on your calendars now. As we prepare for the new year, prayer week, 2021, the theme is going to be, he makes all things new. Revelation 21.5 says, and he who was seated on the throne. Who was it that was seated on the throne? Oh, yes, Jesus, the risen, magnified, exalted Jesus, seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And I want us to start the new year with that idea on our minds as our focus for prayer and for all that we do. Jesus is the one on that throne. He is the one who is making all things new. He is the one who hears our prayers each day. And it is him in whom our faith is placed when we wake up each day. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great truth that you have turned a hopeless end into an endless hope because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And we celebrate that every day. And we live with that as the defining truth for our lives 
and for our world now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.